Hey, it's Stu with Bitcoin and Financial Independence, and today I wanted to share this Twitter thread I came across with you, um, and it has to do with the price of Bitcoin in dollars. And to be clear, this is not a price prediction thing. There are all sorts of technical analysis and price predictors out there and st stock-to-flow model and all these things going on, like uh, Balaji, the billionaire, betting that Bitcoin will be worth $1 million per coin in the middle of June and things like that. Uh, this is not what that is. You know, price is something that does get people interested. It does spark conversations. People watch the price. That's what intrigues them and what moves the price and how it moves. People will watch that and they're interested in it. And that's what draws a lot of people in initially. But I just want to share this thread. And this is in no way price predictions or anything. This is kind of just perspective. So to get into this Twitter thread, it says, October 2010. No way Bitcoin can get to $100. It's barely at $0.30. Cents, okay? April of 2011. No way Bitcoin can get to $1,000. It's barely at $3. Okay? So it just seems unfathomable to go from $0.30 cents to $100, $3 to $1,000. October 2011. No way Bitcoin can get to $10,000. It barely made it to 30 in June, and it's now back down to $2. November 2013. No way Bitcoin can get to $100,000. It's barely at $300. So this is all the same ratio, basically. August of 2017. No way Bitcoin can get to a million dollars per coin. It's barely at $3,000 per coin. April of 2023. No way Bitcoin can get to $10 million a coin. It's barely at $30,000 a coin after crashing from $69,000 a coin. And then he goes on to some future date with question mark. No way Bitcoin can get to one, I think that's a billion dollars. It's barely at three million after crashing from 16 million. And, it, and he goes on to share some screenshots. This is from the 17th of May in 2011. This guy posted on Twitter. I wish I had kept my $17,000 of Bitcoin that I got for six cents instead of selling them at 30 cents. So that's a 5x on his money. Now that they are $8. So this is a classic story of Bitcoin, of I bought Bitcoin at X price and I sold it for 10X. And, and we just have this unit bias, uh, thinking that the US dollar value of Bitcoin is rising, when in reality, the cost of everything is falling against Bitcoin. So this is still Luke Broyles. This is his thought. This is his idea that he's saying. Uh, he continues and says, when it comes down to it, most do not buy Bitcoin because deep down, we know buying it is an admission that we could have bought it for cheaper. When you buy Bitcoin, you know you are admitting to yourself that you could have bought it for cheaper and now you're doing it. There's many people that have experienced this. And even Michael Saylor, he talks about, uh, there's a tweet from Michael Saylor in the year 2013 in December. He says, Bitcoin's days are numbered. It seems like just a matter of time before it suffers the same fate as online gambling. So that's Michael Saylor, who, who is arguably one of the biggest people in the whole Bitcoin sphere, I think he owns or his company and him to combined own more than just about anyone as a known entity. And so Luke makes the point that we all want to feel like the smartest person in the world. So we pretend like we know better and that Bitcoin is dead or a bubble or whatever. Instead, is it not better to just admit you weren't the smartest, but be smart enough to change your mind like Sailor did? Almost every human on earth will go through this realization described here. If you're reading this, you happen to be some of the first. He talks about three types of people that are waiting to buy Bitcoin. The first kind is the kind that thinks, I'm too late or I'll buy the dip. 
not buy it when it's down, but when it's down, everyone's scared and no one buys. So then they end up buying it when it's high. Number two, wait, it's designed to rise forever in terms of everything else. They just don't understand that, yes, when you have infinite amount of dollars that's continually expanding, $31 trillion of debt, and when that goes to $60 trillion of debt, and there's twice as much money in circulation as there is now, and everything is twice as expensive, you know, you still have that fixed supply, but the demand will be higher because you have these dollars that need to go somewhere, and it's going to go into hard assets. It's kind of hard to explain, but just imagine everything in the world divided by 21 million is one of the common things about Bitcoin that I see is like Bitcoin is going to become the store of value is the argument of Bitcoin maximalists. And maybe you don't see that happening, but uh, I do think that in general, people are smart enough and they will choose the best asset over time. And the best asset over time is going to win. The best product over time is going to win. The hardest money is going to take advantage of softer monies. And so when you print and print and print, like how can Bitcoin not go up in terms of dollars when the amount of dollars continually rises and comes out of nowhere? How can it not go up if there's a fixed supply and a certain amount of demand for Bitcoin, right? So that's kind of a hard point to, to make, but that's point two that Luke makes. And I will link this Twitter thread in the show notes so you can go and take a look at it. But Luke continues and he says, the reason why Bitcoin is always making new higher lows, like the lows get higher, like it, it crashed to $3, it crashed to 30 it crashed to 300 it crashed to 3000 um, Now it's crashed you know, to 15000 16000 We're at 30000 today, roughly. The adoption of Bitcoin is growing and everyone outbids each other because we all realize others will outbid us if we do not outbid them first. The lower it goes, the faster people buy, meaning the shorter duration it remains low. The current fair market bid for Bitcoin is roughly $30,000. Some might say this is high. Maybe it is. However, I suspect the value of dollars will continue to decrease faster than the value of Bitcoin could reverse the massive momentum of adoption it has currently. Bitcoin has gone from 0% adoption to 0.5% adoption in 14 years. And it has gone from less than one penny to $70,000. There are fewer orders of magnitude between $70,000 and $70 million versus $70,000 and $7. And then he makes these three points that obviously the dollar is inflating. Bitcoin supply exploded in the last decade. It's going to be minimal. Uh, there's only 2 million Bitcoin roughly left to mine, less than 2 million Bitcoin actually. And there are less than 2 million Bitcoins left on exchanges. So there's about 4 million Bitcoins left unless, you know, obviously people will sell at certain points that don't know to hold on. Um, and then this third thing is that it has a faster CAGR than the internet, and that's a cap adjusted growth rate. And getting to the end of his point, he says, remember, if Bitcoin survives, it has 99.5% adoption ahead of it and not behind it. It should be expected to surpass every fiat exchange rate possible. Yes, really. The only way Bitcoin goes back down continually is if it has failed as a superior technology. This is why it's so important to not talk about Bitcoin as get in now before the price goes up, but instead as superior technology eats older tech. The printing press, the locomotive, the internet, and Bitcoin all become more valuable than their former predecessors. The best protocol wins. The beautiful thing here is that perfect money naturally incentivizes people to be as productive as possible for as long as possible without destruction of wealth. Everyone is incentivized to bring more value as quickly as possible to others in order to acquire more Bitcoin. He wraps up the thread by saying, if you're waiting to buy Bitcoin at 30000 
because you think it might go to 8,000 and you can look like a genius. Good luck. Literally, everyone else is hoping the same and they'd beat you to it anyway. Don't try to outsmart your emotions. So that's the thread. I kind of paraphrased some parts. I quoted it from others, but I'll link it in the show notes, like I said. To me, how I look at it is I don't care. Yes, I check the price. Yes, I pay attention to that. Um, I pay attention to inflation. I pay attention to the money printing, that how much the Fed backstops everything and how much they buy on their balance sheet. I pay attention to all of these factors that affect the price of Bitcoin, uh, you know, interest rates, everything. And that's what drew me to Bitcoin was the money. I am part of the financial independence retire early movement, the FIRE movement, where I want to become financially independent as soon as possible. And for me, that path used to look like I need to buy a certain amount of rental homes or I need to buy a million and a half dollars of stock so I can get 45,000 of dividends every year for the rest of my life. Just live off of that, maybe do a part-time or side hustle, whatever I want to do. So that has been my path historically. That has been my plan historically. But that is shifting now to be more Bitcoin focused because with Bitcoin, you can actually save your money. You can save your time and not be diluted. Uh, with, with dollars or with real estate or with stocks, I can be diluted. They, the company can issue more shares. Uh, they can always develop more land. Although, yes, there is a finite amount of land, I guess, on the earth that can be inhabited and whatever else. And we need some of it to not be used for housing and whatever. But you get what I'm saying is that there's a lot of land that could still be developed. So I can be diluted that way if they all of a sudden build a bunch of new apartment buildings or houses in my town. Or maybe my town or city becomes undesirable and so the prices go down. But the point is that I can be diluted and I'm subject to inflation and I'm subject to taxes and all these. And I'm trying to save my money and my dividends and everything and it all gets inflated away. But with Bitcoin, it does not. It just stays the same. So if I work and earn $100 and I put that $100 into Bitcoin, that, that certain amount of Bitcoin is always there and that preserves that time for me in the future. It's always going to be worth that same amount of Bitcoin. I'm always going to have that same amount of Bitcoin that I traded that money for. And it actually might get more valuable over time, basically, in relation to the dollar. And so what I've decided is that maybe I can justifiably save uh, 10% of my work every month in Bitcoin. And that time, that money that I work to save will be there eventually when I need it. And it will not be diluted. In fact, it might be the opposite. It will hopefully get more valuable over time as Bitcoin becomes monetized, as Bitcoin gains adoption, because we are still extremely early. And there's not a lot of Bitcoin left to be mined, all that stuff. So that's that. I tried to explain that as well as I could. I probably could do a little bit better, but uh, I'm going to leave that there for you to simmer on. And a second topic I want to share that's kind of interesting is that the U.S. government is currently unloading thousands of Bitcoin that they seized from Silk Road, which was an illegal website, I believe, you know, selling drugs and guns and stuff like that on the black market. So they seized that stash of Bitcoins. It was about 50,000 Bitcoins, and they've already sold about 9,861 Bitcoin, and they are trying to unload the other 41,000 Bitcoins over the course of the next year in multiple batches. So this is interesting. I personally think that they should hold on to this Bitcoin as a strategic holding, I guess you could say. But just know that this is, uh, this is a good amount of selling pressure that might hold the price down for a while. Just want to throw that out there because I thought that was interesting as far as an effect on price. You know, you've got all these factors from how much money printing we do, whatever taxes the government makes, the deficits, the interest rates, even the unemployment rate can affect the Federal Reserve's plans for keeping interest rates down. So all these things 
affect the price of Bitcoin along with adoption of selling pressure from the government to other governments potentially going to adopt it, the upcoming halving and the hash rate and so many factors. But this was a big one, I thought, and something to be aware of. And hopefully they come to their senses and do hold on to this because I want our country to remain viable. And I think it would be smart for them to hang on to the rest of this Bitcoin. Another thing I had seen was people being upset that MicroStrategy owns so much Bitcoin. And, it, and it's kind of unsettling because I think MicroStrategy owns one out of every 150 Bitcoin or about half a percent of all the Bitcoins available uh, ever. And so obviously if it goes crazy, like they're going to be really well set up. But what's beautiful about Bitcoin is that the fact that he holds so much doesn't actually affect the network necessarily. MicroStrategy and Michael Saylor have no more influence over Bitcoin. They have no more control over the network. It's still decentralized, even though they own so much, even though it's somewhat concentrated with Michael Saylor. He has no extra power or privilege as far as controlling Bitcoin at all. So that's an important point to make is that owning a certain amount of Bitcoin does not give you more control over the network. It's still completely decentralized. It's still controlled by rules and not by rulers. It's still removing you from a centralized authority. Anyway, I want to keep it short and sweet today. I hope that adds some perspective. Do your own research. None of this is financial advice. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, really. And I want to give you the basis where you can go get educated. But these are just my thoughts, my views, my opinions, and definitely not financial advice. So make sure you truly are doing your own research and making your own choices there. And just have the perspective and try to make sure that you understand what you are saving in, what you're investing in. That's just smart when it comes to any asset class. It doesn't matter what it is. If you found this helpful, the best thing you can do is share this podcast with a friend or family member. And remember that financial independence is doable. I'll be back with you soon.